Guys, I'm so excited for you to listen to my interview with Ryan Blair. He's a mentor of mine. He's somebody who I really respect and I learned so much from in his life thus far about one, how to be a really good entrepreneur by going through challenges and understanding mistakes, but creating your desires. Learning from somebody who really made a difference in my life where I felt defeated and he showed me a spiritual way, a way of realizing that you are in control, a way of realizing that you can be at peace inside. You just have to put in the work. What's the work? Well, the modalities, the principles, the ways of, let's call it the laws of the universe. And overall, just being open to always learning and always growing, but perfecting what you need to be good at in order to advance. This is the stuff you're gonna hear from him. He's done over a billion, two billion, three billion in sales. He's a multimillionaire. He's someone who's lived that so-called American dream life. And it's somebody that will teach you something. And all I ask, if you like it, leave us a comment, subscribe, help spread this movement to somebody, share this post with somebody. And if they really want to win, they really want to learn from the best, some of the best people to lead us right now, then tune in and listen to this interview with Ryan Blair. What up, what up? Welcome back to Millionaire Voices, episode number 15. Today, I have the honor of interviewing one of the biggest inspirations of my life, one of my mentors, Ryan Blair. He's a best-selling author and a founder of Alter Call and so many other companies, which I'm so excited to talk to him about. So without further ado, the legend himself, Ryan Blair. Welcome to Millionaire Voices. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Daniel. I appreciate it. I appreciate the kind words. Look, guys, I have been so inspired by Ryan. I actually, and I brought it here, and Ryan, I'll tell you this very shortly, but I read his book, Nothing to Lose, Everything to Gain, how I went from a gang member to multi-million dollar, multi-millionaire entrepreneur in 2014, and it changed my life. And the reason I say it changed my life is because it inspired me, inspired me to take action. So fast forward so many years, this is such an honor for me. So how we start this show is I like to start from the beginning. I know who, how great Ryan Blair is, but I want the world to know. And I'd love for you to give a quick introduction of uh, where you come from. Uh, thanks, Danny. Thanks for sharing the book. You know, nothing to lose. I talk about my story. I started as well, I started out in the middle class. My dad was an engineer. My mom was a homemaker. I'm the youngest of seven, and you know, I, I grew up like any middle class kid would, and I had it good. And then my parents got addicted to drugs when I was about. The addiction started when I was about 10, at least I started to recognize it, and things got really bad. By the time I was 13, I was on my own living in poverty, and my, you know, my dad had disappeared. My mom had severe challenges with alcoholism and, and drugs, and you know, I, I went from living in the middle class to living in poverty. And so, in poverty, that was a big shock. You know, middle class people, are very afraid of poverty. They're afraid of living in poverty. They're afraid of all things poverty. And so I was a young kid that 
you know, it was it was taken right out of middle class until went deep into poverty out of nowhere. And so my environment changed, and I got involved in gangs. I I was always very rebellious. I was very angry. I was angry at the system. I was angry at the education system, the world. I was angry at everything that allowed for that to happen. I was angry at my church because next thing you know, I'm you know in in, uh, in a bad environment. And when you live in, in poverty, you get recruited to do bad things. The older people that live in those neighborhoods put a lot of pressure on the younger people to to you know create crime. So I was forced into a life of crime and a life of of violence, and I was forced into that pretty early. Mm-hmm. And I went to juvenile hall a couple of times, got arrested a number of times. And once one day in juvenile hall, I was facing four years in prison for armed robbery. And I had written the judge a letter begging for lenience, telling the judge, please, I, I don't want to go to prison. Because I was about 16 at the time, so in the event that I'd gotten a four-year sentence, I had been shipped off to prison. And once you go to prison in California, it's a tough situation. You're forced to to do even worse, more despicable things. And I just knew that I didn't want to become a professional criminal, but if I had gotten that sentence, the odds of me becoming a professional criminal were pretty high. Mm-hmm. So I wrote the judge a letter, and at this time I had already dropped out of high school. I was going to what's called a continuation high school. I was considered learning disabled, and I wrote this letter, and I remember I penned it hundreds of times, and I take it to the guards, and I ask them to help correct it, spell check it, because I've never been great at spelling. I certainly was much worse at it back then. And I wrote the letter over and over. I begged the judge for leniency. And when I went before him, he read the letter reluctantly. He was like, he gets all kinds of letters. And, and then he read it. I never forget, a shock came over him. And in that moment, he said to me, son, you should be writing in college, not in prison. And he granted me leniency. And at that moment, I made a decision that I was going to become a writer. And I made a decision that I was going to change my life. I soon removed myself from the gang and started taking actions to distance myself from that environment. It wasn't easy. There was lots of retribution and threats against my life and things like that. But you know, then shortly after that, my mom found me a mentor. And I was about 17 at the time. You know, I had tattoos all over me. I was still a kid with a big attitude, a big... Um, very rebellious against authority. And, you know, when, when, and when my mom introduced me to my mentor, I really saw it as a, a sign from God. Like, I made a deal with God that if he were to give me the mentor that I needed to get out of poverty and to get out of the challenging times that I was in and to learn how to become successful, mm-hmm. that I would spend the rest of my life giving back. And I made that deal with God then and received my first mentor when I was 17, and he taught me entrepreneurship, he taught me real estate, and I started my career as an entrepreneur shortly thereafter. And since then, you know, I've, I've started a number of successful companies, I've done several billion in sales in my companies, I've exited a number of companies, and you know, I've, I've been a serial entrepreneur ever since. Wow. I'm now 44, 43 going on 44, so I'm, I'm 23 years plus into my career, and you know, I've, I've had a lot of experience as an entrepreneur, and now I help others on their path as entrepreneurs, people just like yourself. Yes, yes, you do, and you've helped me so much. So at first, I'll say thank you. And you know, ironically, I was getting teary-eyed, and I want to make this about myself. 
but I I actually actually sold our company today and wow. it went public. Congratulations. And, <laughs> thank you. And and it's I love it, the, man. the crazy so today's, the day. today's the day that it's full circle because when I picked up your book, I said I could do it too. You inspired wow. me so much and, and I'll forever thank you for that. I well, you know, no, wait, I just want to tell you like what a privilege it is to be able to share this day with you. I know that on days like this, you get to explore a new reality. Your prior reality is no longer like the same, right? The whole reality of your life just shifted in a moment's notice. You had a, an event occur that makes you as a successful entrepreneur, that, that pays you quite well for the time and the blood, sweat, and tears that you invested. And so now the real work begins in your journey because this whole this whole reality that you've been working in has mm -hmm. now changed. And it changes in a second. I remember when I sold Sky Pipeline, I got word, like sold it, and then the company went public. And as a result of it going public, I actually now had liquidity. And I remember looking down at a high rise just like you are now, and looking down at the ground and saying, the ground just looks different now. Wow. And so, yeah, you know, so congratulations, man. And thank you so much. It, it means the world to me from hearing from you directly. and. You know, what I want to point out to people is that what you, know, what you said was so powerful right there. It was so powerful because some people come from a very dark beginning and very, let's call it ne negative. And, and you are, are considered a hero because you can show people that you could come from those beginnings and still become a massive success and light to the world. Me, I come from a beginning of all love and all support. And, you know, that's what makes me, you know, so special when I, when I was inspired by you. It was like, I didn't relate to you in the fact that I had to go through those rough beginnings. But what I related was that if anyone can do it and he could do it, then I can do it. That's and, perfect. I love that. I love, I love that you were able to look at me and say, like, if that guy could do it, I could do it. Like, that's, that's the reason for my existence, right, is to just pave the way, do certain things, and be an inspiration to others. And so thank you, man. I appreciate that. And I, I love that. I love what you've achieved. And I, I'm, I'm here celebrating with you as though I just sold a company today, yeah. man. So congratulations. And, and that's the that's the person you are with such great character. We're going to dive into that. And, you know, I know your time's valuable. So I want people to understand, um, you know, a couple different things about you. Number one, we just talked about is business. So you got a, you got some mentors. You, you said you made a commitment to God where you said, I'm going to go full speed and I'm going to become a massive success. How many companies, uh, I've read your books, um, yeah. but I, I would love for you to uh, tell us, as everyone hears, how many companies or where was the start to your first business? Yeah, well, my first business was called 24-7 Tech. And that was, um, the whole byline was, if your network's a wreck, called 24-7 Tech. And we basically, at the time, so many companies were having challenges with like Y2K, for those of you who are older, this is when the year turned 2000, we had to re-engineer a lot of code, a lot of software. And so I was always an engineering person, I'm very engineering minded now. Um, and so 24-7 tech led into Sky Pipeline. Sky Pipeline was a mobile broadband service provider. That led into a company called PathConnect. PathConnect was a social media company. That led into a company called Visalis. Visalis is most known for the Body by Lie 90 Day Challenge. And then after Vitalis got so big so fast, it was the fastest growing company in all of Wall Street. Um, we went from nine million a year in sales to 
635 million a year in sales in 18 months, so wow. 100 million in profit. And then we sold the company. And I utilized a lot of the, the gains that I made from various ventures to invest in a number of other enterprises. And I've had a few enterprises that have turned into unicorns, enterprises that I was a founding investor in. And one was one's called Heal, which is a, a very prominent on-demand uh, telehealth uh, and on-demand and telehealth um, physician service. There's a variety of others that I've invested in that have been very successful. But I've had the privilege of being involved in Elite Daily, Gerard Adams' company. Many people are familiar with that. I was an early founding investor with him and a variety of different other companies that I've, I've had the privilege of being able to be involved in. And, and now I mentor through to call a lot of different companies and a lot of different industries, teaching them what I've learned along the way of going from seed to you know public company, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that actually takes me to, you know, on most of your entities, you were the CEO, correct? Yeah, I, except for the ones that I invested in, of course. I, you know, I, I, uh, I've always been the CEO of, of every company I've ever started. Um, now, how do you define... Yeah, actually, at 24-7, the reason why I sold 24-7 was I started out, I was a founder, founding capital, founding everything. And I started out as a VP, and I wanted to become the CEO. So I left 24-7 to become the CEO of Sky Pipeline. So for CEOs or future CEOs out there, you know, what's your definition of a CEO? What should a CEO be doing in an organization? Well, a CEO, you know, all, all a CEO does is meet with people. And that's it. There's nothing more, nothing less. You just meet with people all day long. You meet with your team, you meet with your customers, you meet with your investors, you just meet with people. It's not, it's not that hard of a job um, being a CEO, especially if you're talented at recruiting great people, which I've been very fortunate to be able to do. The teams, the successes that I've had have come because I've, I've, I've been able to recruit great people uh, you know, to, a, to work on a collective vision together. And I cannot take very much credit for it because as a CEO, you're just basically getting the right people into the right role and you're organizing those people and leading those people toward a common and a collective vision that everybody's inspired by. Mm-hmm. Now, it's, it's hard to get to a place where you're working with eight players. That's, that's not easy to do. But once you get there, the job isn't as hard as, as you might think. It is stressful because you bear the burden of all the responsibility of every soul that works for you and every customer that's connected to you. Mm-hmm. So there is there is more pressure on you. But the actual physical work is not very high because it's just simply interfacing, creating strategy, communicating with people, and you know, and, and really leadership is planning and planning is caring. And so a CEO needs to be good at planning and good at caring. I love that. And you know, you actually led me to my next question about leadership. You know, leadership I look at you as one of the greatest leaders that our nation and that our world has right now. And, and I wow. say that truthfully because I know what you're doing for this world. Now, you gave me so many principles of a great leader. So I would love for you to tell others, what do you define as a great leader? I know you have, you know, leaders ask great questions. I know you say it you know, puts movement and, and the customers first and, you know, all these different principles of just like leaders are always learning. What other leadership principles? Yeah, yeah, I, I have a lot of leadership principles that I share, and, and you know, I have that in my free principles course that everybody 
this launchingness can dive into, and, and I get 50 principles there. But the principle that, that I would say that the, the most important principle of being a leader, mm -hmm. especially for us men, is being a good father. If you think about like the best leaders are the best fathers. Mm. And so being a father to your team, not, not a leader, I'm not trying to convince you to admire me, and I'm not trying to convince you to follow me because I want to be admired. I'm, I'm leading you because I know that this is what's best for you. I know that the activities, the tasks, the work that I'm asking you to do are going to develop you, and they're going to further us toward our cause. And as I have to interface with you, if I have to be critical, if I have to cast judgment, I want to do so with the spirit of the Father and say, listen, you could be better than that. You're not being your best self. And I have a 12-year-old boy who's my pride and joy, literally. And so I try to lead my teams the same way that I father my son. And, and so I, I think the best leaders are the best fathers and the best mothers. And, and by, on the mother's side of it, being very nurturing, being very caring, and you know, getting the job done as great mothers do, right? That's that's what we have to do. So I think that it's all too often we 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 convolute leadership, and we really should look for leaders that are great great fathers and great mothers. And those are the people that I admire the most as leaders. Those are the people that I learn from, and those are the people that I try to emulate in terms of the way I raise my son and the way I raise my companies. I love that, and and I would definitely tell everybody out there: you got to go get those fifty principles. Uh, I've been learning from him for the past years, and I'm telling you, that's if you want great leadership advice, that's what you should do. And thanks for saying that. It actually, reminded me of another question I wanted to ask you about recruitment. You know, we'll, we'll dive a little bit more into business, and then I want to dig into the mind of Ryan Blair. And for recruitment purposes, we talked about A players, and what would you say are some principles to look for when you're trying to recruit A players to run a high-performance company? A players are independent. Mm -hmm. They're self-supervised. They don't need to be told what to do. They take, uh, they take a lot of, of, of pride in their work, and they want to do things great. They don't want to put their name to anything that's, that's, that's trash. An A player is going to take it very personally and get very emotional if their work product is flawed. Like they really care about creating things that, that work well and that, that do a good job and that are efficient. And the A players I like to work with are also they're purpose-driven people, they're mission-driven people. You know, they're they're here for a bigger mission. And many A players have characteristics though that you know sometimes are not they're unbecoming. The A players can be divas. They can be hard to work with. You know, a lot of times as CEOs, uh, it's real easy to work with people that are yes people. And sometimes the A players are no people. They'll challenge you. They'll say, no, that, that's, that's, that's a bad idea. Mm -hmm. Or they'll want to do something their own way, not, not the way that you want them to do it. And so, you know, to, being able to attract A players means you've got to be an A player. So first, to attract A players, because you asked about recruiting, you have to be an A player. And then you'll be able to attract A players. Mm. B players attract C players, and C players attract D players. But A players can attract other A players. A B player will never attract an A player. Oh. An A player will never want to work for a B player. It would drive them crazy, right? Because I'm an A player. I'm working you know, 12, 14 hours a day, doing whatever it takes, 
working the weekends if I have to because I so value the work that I'm doing and it so connects to me at a soul level that I'm putting my all into it. If the person that I work for, the other people that I'm on the team with are not of that caliber, then it's going to it, it's going to disenfranchise me because I'm going to say, I'm playing at a different level. It'd be like being on a basketball team. Mm-hmm. And everybody on the team is a pro, and yet there's a couple amateurs on the team. Mm-hmm. The pros would be very upset and annoyed at being on that same team with a bunch of amateurs. So to create an A-player environment, you have to become an A-player, you have to recruit A-players, and you have to empower your A-players to recruit other A-players. Oh, that's strong. And you have to quickly remove C, D, uh, players and develop a B players into A players. You can't really develop a C player into an A player, but you can develop a B player into an A player. Mm-hmm. So when and, uh, and that's great advice. So and then when when you um, are starting to move forward in the company and you take all that advice that you just said, and then somebody let's say becomes very negative or, or toxic to the environment, what is your your forced reaction? Or what is, as a, as a leader of an organization, how do you address that? Because I know that that can travel and create, you know. Yeah. I, I address it as a father should. Mm-hmm. So I, I address the behavior. Okay. I go up to them and I tell them that, you know, I have a, I have a, a moral and a values issue with the way that they're behaving and conducting themselves. Mm. And you have to do that all the time because if you don't train your people, they're going to train you. And if your people think that they can walk in and be negative and spread negativity, and they think that they're going to get rewarded for that behavior, they will continue to do that behavior. And so you have to immediately change that behavior and you have to confront that behavior. And the way that you do that is, you know, you approach them and say, listen, I, I'm I'm noticing your energy, you know, it's affecting me, and I need you to make a commitment to step up and play at a higher level. You always want to try to hold people to a higher standard of themselves. It's not about me versus you. It's not about, you know, you did this or you did that. That's the who. Mm -hmm. You don't want to focus on the who as a leader. You want to focus on the what. Mm -hmm. The what is, what's right is, you know, we should be grateful that we have this opportunity. We should be grateful for the day that we have in front of us. We should be grateful for the fact that we get to take the action that we've committed to. And if we're not being grateful right now, then you know, then you know, then you need to leave, basically. Mm-hmm. And so I, I try my best, and I have to do it all the time, especially when you're on a young team. Is you constantly have to, you know, you have to let them know when they're not playing at their highest level, and when they're operating from a lower self versus a higher self. And I'll share with you. The person who taught me a lot about this is a guy named Coach Dale Brown. Mm-hmm. He, he's most known for being Shaq's mentor. He discovered Shaq, and he coached him at LSU. And he said to me that he used to pull Shaq out of the game when Shaq wasn't playing with the right energy at the right level and say, Shaq, you're better than that. The Shaq that I saw last game was dominant, wouldn't let anybody score on him. The Shaq that I saw last game run, ran up and down the courts. The Shaq that you are right now, that's not you. I need you to step into the Shaq that you're capable of being. Shaq would get up, get back in that game, and play at a higher level. Mm. You, couldn't, you couldn't scold him and tell him, you idiot, you know, you don't care about this team, you don't care about my coaching. You couldn't, you couldn't use that approach of leadership because he would just look at you like, you know, he could break you in two, right? Mm. You know, you had to motivate him to step up to the superman that he is. Mm. And so when I, when I heard Coach Brown, when he shared with me how he would motivate Shaq, one of the all-time greatest players that there ever was, and when he shared with me the tech, tips and tech, tactics that he utilized, 
I adopted them. That's how I try to motivate my team. Oh, I love that. And it's, it, you know, I, got, I guess it's how people tick is how you should be speaking to them. But that's a, that's a real leader. That's empowering. That's giving confidence and, and letting people believe in themselves to reach their highest potential because a, a great father does believe in their children. Yeah. Well, as a father, I, I see you. I, I, I have this conversation with my son. I see you at your best and you're just not at your best right now. Mm-hmm. What is it going to take for us to get there? Wow. And all too often, the person will tell you what they got to do differently. And then, okay, let's do it. So, a couple more things on business because I'm talking to you is, let's talk about the five pillars real quick. You know, sales and marketing and operations and finance. And what do you, how do you analyze as a, as a business, let's say as the CEO of a company, even though you have a lot of meetings, how are you looking at all the pillars? And do you think that there's one pillar that's more important than the other in business? Um, every pillar needs to have a, 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 t- a benchmark metric for it. Mm-hmm. So, and a series of metrics, like for supply chain, you have a series of metrics for your technology group, you'll have a series of metrics. Man, you know, I ran a company with 600 million a year. So each, each group that you have mm-hmm. should have a series of benchmarks, a series of met- metrics that they're seeking to improve upon. Mm-hmm. And so as a entrepreneur or CEO of a larger company, you're gonna have things break, and you're gonna have you're gonna have things get out of whack. So, like, so much your marketing might be off, and you gotta put some in- in- attention, and you gotta put some focus there. And other much your supply chain, and it, you basically to scale, you have to break things. And so, as you're breaking things, you're you're improving them, and you're building more foundation. And then the next group breaks, and then you build more foundation. And by foundation, I might need systems and software and process. In leadership, getting good people that are competent that can execute, and as you're doing that, and you're you're fixing each particular area, as you do that over a period of time, you eventually build a foundation. Mm-hmm. So my there's not one area that's more important than the other, with the exception of a startup. And in a startup, in general, the revenue engine is the most important thing to protect to perfect first. Now, in some startups that are, say, product-centric or technology companies, they raise a bunch of VC, and they don't focus on revenue until later. And, but that's, most of us aren't afforded the luxury of basically burning other people's money and not having to worry about you know, keeping the lights on. Mm-hmm. Most people have to actually start a business, and they have to be prudent financially in order for them to um, scale and grow and invest inside of it. And so I've, I've done VC-backed companies that didn't care about revenue for years. Um, I've been in a company that's VC-backed, having raised over $100 million. But I've always put my, my first focus on the revenue line, which means sales and marketing. And then I, I slowly iterate in the other areas. And as I build my sales and marketing, I make sure to fill the holes in the organization to support the expanded sales and marketing. Mm. Yeah, I remember in one of your books, you, you had a formula. You said um, it was exposure times conversion equals results. Yeah. And that was your formula yeah. for sales. I have, a lot, yeah, I have a lot of simple formulas like mm-hmm. that that guide me. A formula like exposure times conversion equals results is just your marketing is your exposure, your conversion is your sales. But you can break that down further. What are my different exposure engines? Like in this day and age, we have social media, we have... Uh, SEO, we might have you know, YouTube, we might have whatever, different exposure engines. 
and then you have different conversion results on those engines. And then, you know, so there's a bit of factoring that has to go on to that. But I, I like to create a, a real, I like to create a business model that it's a, like they're mathematical creations where I know that if I spend X amount of money on advertising, I'm going to get X amount of sales. And I can invest that into product development. I can invest that into product fulfillment and mm -hmm. the other various functions. And then my additional capital can be invested in um, uh, you know, growth initiatives. And eventually, over time, I have a business that you know scales. And case in point, AlterCall started with you know from zero, and now it's a multi-million dollar revenue business and growing. And the, the reason why I was able to do that was just this 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 series of principles. So over a year, I've been building this thing, and I didn't use any investor capital. I didn't even use very much of my own capital. I think I started it with like $5,000. So it wasn't a significant amount of my own capital to start it. And the $5,000 went to, you know, buying various software to basically create the system um, for the most part. There was a couple other random expenses for us to do events and some of the other things that we do. And, you know, each time that a dollar comes in, I allocate the profits from that, reinvesting mm -hmm. it in building the infrastructure and the foundation of the business, adding new team members, adding new systems, adding new software, and continuing to overhaul the business as we go. And I've been utilizing this very disciplined, profit-focused approach at AlterCall now for over a year. It's, it's, you know, it's done quite well, and it's going to continue to expand from there. So there is an alternative to venture funding companies. And I'm proving that now as, you know, as, as I build AlterCall. Yeah, no, and, and, I, and thanks for saying that. I took from your book, you said, about building the business models. You said, create a model that is a model driven where it, it, you hit the nail on the head where you, you, you see what works and then you got to rip it apart if it doesn't and then yeah. tweak it. And then you say, create a retention-based sales model, know your customer, um, be close to your customer as you can. And then what do you mean by cherry pick new markets? Uh, yeah, it's great. Um, the you know, a lot of entrepreneurs want to expand into new markets, and they, they do it because of ego reasons. So mm -hmm. I have an entrepreneur I'm mentoring right now, and she wants to take her business to Vegas. And I'm like, you have no business going to Vegas. Like her business is in the East Coast, managing multiple time zones over you know thousands of miles, and different regulatory environments, different climates. I mean, there's like that's a difficult thing to do, but it sounds really sexy. And going out and hanging out in Vegas and having fun in Vegas sounds like a lot of fun. And what I've been mentoring her to do is to cherry pick her markets and pick markets that are most similar to the conditions that she's in right now and markets that are going to be easiest for her to expand to gain that learning and that, that institutional knowledge that you acquire as you make um, expansionary efforts. And then you can eventually find yourself in the big markets. So that's what I mean by cherry picking markets. I like that. And I'm so curious about, you know, you brought up earlier about VC. Uh, VC means venture capital, correct? Yeah. Now. Or culture capital, depending. That's what I want to get to is saying yeah. that you say like venture capital is like swimming with the sharks. Yeah. You know, why, you know. Why do you think that you said also that venture capitalists, the two things that drive them is fear and greed. What is like, what is the reason for venture capital so people understand? And then why do you say those things? And I know that you mean it in a, in a 
positive way so people are aware. But I, and I was a venture capitalist, so I, I, you know, I had a small $20 million fund that I used to be the managing director of. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I know what it's like to be on both sides of the fence. I'm, the VC is very good at making sure to protect their interest mm -hmm. and to maximize their position. They are legal experts. They have the best lawyers. They've done lots of deals. They have lots of experience in deal making. And there's a lot of nuances in creating VC funding agreements, Series A's and B's, and however you decide to do it. And those, those nuances are, are very hard for an entrepreneur to learn. Mm. Um, and it's, it's very complex stuff that, that a VC is very good at. And so it's great if your business is growing and being very successful. But if, if you go through a dark period or a down spell or, you know, you're, you're behind on your plan or you're not able to monetize or able to create the products as you plan to, any of that stuff ends up getting, uh, putting um, your company in the hands of a VC. And a, and a very skilled VC will figure out various mechanisms to take your company from you. And sometimes those mechanisms are inside the contracts that you readily agree to when you take their money. And sometimes those mechanisms are more political in nature and that they will they'll lobby other board members and other investors. And so a VC's, their entire goal is not to see that your company does better, does great. Their goal is to make sure that their investors do great. Mm. And that might mean selling your company to another company. That might mean having you shut down your company. I mean, that might mean all kinds of things other than you being the CEO of your company and having the success that you, you dreamed of. So oftentimes the interest of the VC and of the CEO, um, they, they're no longer in alignment and the VCs are great at getting the CEO out. I'll tell you a friend of mine, a guy named Adam Newman, he's the founder of WeWork. You know, he, 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 he raised like 15 or 20 billion in VC and he had control of his company, he had super voting shares, like he owned the company, they couldn't kick him out. But um, SoftBank are very, very good at the political game. And so next thing you know, there's press releases, there's, there's, there's things being uh, leaked to the press, there's uh, SoftBank being critical of Adam, there's the team members inside WeWork getting influenced, and next thing you know, Adam is out of WeWork as CEO, and SoftBank takes over majority control in a crazy deal that they just recently settled. And so it just goes to show you that you know, if things don't go right, that VC will turn their back on you in a minute and try to take that company right out from underneath you as they did not. And you know, let's talk about the flip side real quick, and then I want to dig into the mind real quick with you is, let's talk about the business owner that wants to prepare for an exit. What would you give some tips to a business owner that's essential to prepare for for an exit of their company? One, uh, have you have to have growth. Like, if you want to make good money, you're, you're, you can sell your business on a multiple of your revenue or a multiple of your profit, and then you get what's called multipliers based on your growth. And so if I'm doing a million in profit this year, but I'm growing at 100% year over year compounded, I might get you know 20 times that million dollars in profit mm -hmm. versus four or five times that million dollars in profit. So that, that's, that's one is focusing on growth and having a, a story of growth. People want to buy growth. Everybody wants growth. Wall Street wants growth. Everybody wants growth. 
That's number one. Number two is you have to have a strong financial house. You, you got to have your financial house in order. I mean, you have to have you know solid financial models, solid forecasting, solid financials. A lot of entrepreneurs that I know, they you know they, they don't they don't treat their finances in a way that the company can buy them. You know, they run it like a bank account, like their own personal bank account, for example. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, companies going to want to see your growth story. Then they're going to want to see, you know, your, hear your financial story. And then they're going to want to inspect the financial story and make sure that you're doing things correct according to, you know, the various accounting standards that we all have to adhere to and follow. Mm-hmm. So that way they know that they're, what, they're, what they think they're buying and what they're buying are, uh, you know, matched up. Mm-hmm. So, to speak. Also, one other thing I should say, sorry, is your team. You know, you've got to have a good team. They, they, they want to, the acquirer wants to, to work with people that they want to, like, they want to work with people. Like, they got to like the team, they got to admire the team, respect the team, and want to, they, they got to see a value in having that team as part of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so many people listening is they want to be rich. Right, and I found out that rich is not just the millions of dollars rich. Rich is there's so many aspects of rich. So speaking to you, how do you define rich? The word rich. Well, you need a certain amount of money to where you know you you can navigate the tricky world that we live in and mm-hmm. not have fear. You don't want to you know be Fear over not having a roof over your head. You don't want to be compromising decisions with regard to your children's education and your, your health and your children's health. You know, you, you, you want to get to a certain place financially to where you have a level of freedom. Mm-hmm. Freedom from debt, freedom from, you know, from living day by day, week by week, month by month. And so mm-hmm. once you get to that place though, it doesn't really matter about how much more money you have or less money you have. So there's been many studies on this that, you know, if, if the, the difference between having five million in the bank and six, seven million in the bank is like zero. The difference between having, you know, ten million in the bank and having fifteen million in the bank is zero. You would think that's a big difference, right? That's five million dollars. But once you get to that place where you're no longer worrying about your survival and your needs are met. Mm-hmm. Then, then you're you're technically rich, mm-hmm. right? In our society, and, and especially in comparison to people who are living every single day of their lives worrying about their needs being met. Mm-hmm. So, for me, I I believe being rich from an economic standpoint is having your needs being met in a society where the vast majority don't have their needs being met. Mm-hmm. And then to expand upon that to be wealthy to be beyond that. That's to really have, you know, to, to know that that if you pass away, that your family's taken care of, and that your legacy will continue, mm-hmm. and that and that you know that that you you've left enough behind for the work that you've done here to continue on, even though you're no longer here physically. Mm-hmm. So, like for me, I look at my wealth as, you know, I'm not, I, I don't accumulate wealth or pursue wealth or try to make more money because I, I feel like I'm going to be more happy as I make more money. Mm-hmm. I, I look at it as a metric of how many lives can I save if I make, 
If I make an extra million, how many more lives I'll be able to save? If I make an extra 10 million, how many more lives could I potentially save as a result of that? So the thing that, that I'm most interested in now is, is really finding ways to be able to make an impact and knowing that the money that I accumulate is all going to go to making an impact one way or the other. And so to me, I, I don't see myself keeping any of this stuff and nor am I going to leave it you know, to my son in a way that doesn't force him to put it to work, mm. right? I'm not going to leave it for him to go vacation for the rest of his life and, and you know, and, and not have to worry about, you know, money ever again. I'm going to leave it in a way that pushes his hand to make sure that he extends the work that I'm doing here. Oh, wow. And, you know, it comes down to the fact that if it was easy, everyone would do it. And... Obviously, there's a lot of you know mentors that you could follow, and you've been a great mentor in mine to follow. And it comes down to the fact that in life we deal with adversity, and it's more just an ideology that you know how you handle a challenge or or something unforeseen that happens to you. I know you know from I know your story personally that you made that major shift in your life. Um, how would you what would you say to somebody? who's dealing with that adversity or something and they're in that dark place, what would you teach them of how to get back up so that you could, they could reach that greatest potential of themselves? Well, you have to fully embrace the adversity that you're going through right now and you have to own it and even be grateful for it. Like you have to say, like, I am so grateful mm. that I get to learn this lesson about finance. I'm so grateful I get to learn this lesson about leadership or this lesson about entrepreneurship or about business. And really say to yourself, like, like, let's go. Give me the lesson. Right? I'd rather learn this lesson than not learn this lesson. Mm -hmm. But what most people do is they're they're afraid to learn the lesson, they're afraid to think about it, they try to ignore it, or they try to, you know, stuff it in a closet and hope it never comes out. And they never actually learn the lesson. The way the universe, the way God works, whatever your beliefs are. It's like each and every single one of us is getting a series of lessons that we need to learn for us to step in to our highest self and to answer our calling. And so when the lesson comes, the mindset should be like, great, I need that lesson today. What am I supposed to do differently? How do I make sure I prevent that lesson from reoccurring? What is the lesson intended to teach me? And be grateful for it. Mm -hmm. Right. So if something bad happens, if something doesn't go your way, you got to smile and say, that's going to make me stronger. And you have to have that attitude. And when you have that attitude, you're actually transmuting dark to light. And your adversity becomes your advantage. And it actually becomes your authority, as mine is today. Like, I can speak with authority about the things that I have overcome. Mm -hmm. And there's no one who can take that away from me. I've made more mistakes in business. I, at one point, I had a billion dollars in lawsuits against me. Wow. A billion dollars. Right? Now, think about this. I'm a kid from the streets. Like the fact that people thought they could get a billion dollars out of me, suing me for a billion dollars. Like I, I knew I arrived when you know one of the lawsuits was like 240 million. I was like, wow, this is this is like this is a whole nother level. Now that said, I'm lawsuit lawsuit free right now. I don't want any more lawsuits. I I have uh, uh, you know every desire to make sure that I don't make the same mistakes and get involved in the same confrontations and the same things mm -hmm. that I did. It generated those billions of dollars. But the truth is, the bigger you are, the more people are going to sue you. And you can't avoid them. Many of the lawsuits were, were brought on because of, 
of just, you know, the way the legal system works. Mm-hmm. And some of them, you know, I, I could have done some things different, partnered with different people, could have done some things different to prevent them in the first place. Mm-hmm. But all of them, I've, I've been able to power through. And so I don't have the same fears. And in fact, I look at that as my authority, not my adversity. Wow. But most people, if they got a lawsuit, they would be freaked out. They would be, you know, they, they think it's the end of the world. They might go into a state of depression. Mm-hmm. They might turn to substance abuse. Right, and once you've gone through these types of things, though, they become your. It becomes. It's no longer your adversity; it's your authority. And so, you have to have a strategy to turn the negative into positive. I mean, that's that's the takeaway from what I've just shared with you. It's like I turn the negative into positive. Yeah. That's like, for so- example, somebody sued me in a real estate deal, and I was like, okay, how could this be positive? It sucks. I got a lawyer up. I got to get attorneys. It was frivolous. It was a worthless lawsuit. And, you know, and I ended up uh, winning the lawsuit, but I was like, what is the positive that could happen from mm-hmm. this? And the moment I made that shift from like, why me? This could be expensive. It was like, it could, be, could have been a $5 million problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want to have to deal with this. I have plenty of issues that I got to deal with that are more important. Mm-hmm. After I got through all of that, then I was like, okay, what, what's the positive mm-hmm. that could come from this? Oh my God. And, you know, and, and there was a positive that ended up coming from it. And as a result, you know, uh, the lawsuit's no longer there, and, and I met some great attorneys, and I learned, and I had some more experience in real estate, and, and I won't do a transaction like that again, because now mm-hmm. I know that, you know, there's some potential legal consequences to a transaction like that. And so, you know, that's just, that's the nature of learning. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the thing, that most people are afraid to make mistakes. Like, I'm proud, I'm here to tell you that I have made mistakes to the tune of a billion dollars. Wow. But I've, I've also been successful with two of several billion dollars, or a couple billion dollars. And so as a result of that, I've, I've netted out well so far, and I'm learning and growing and applying what I've learned along the way. And I know that you know I've, my best years are yet ahead of me, and so no doubt in my mind that at the end of my days as an entrepreneur, I'll be way up uh, and way ahead of, of the mistakes, right, in terms of how much money I've, I've burned in mistakes versus how much money I've made in profits. I'll have, way more profits than mistakes to account for. Yeah, and I can contest to that. You know, being a business owner and an entrepreneur myself, there were some things that I didn't foresee and became very dark and became a victim mentality. But yeah. when I learned from you to change the narrative, find the silver lining, change your frequency, then you gotta put in the work. That's what I want to talk about real quick with you is that you created this amazing movement that I'm behind, I'm part of, I'm so blessed to cross paths with you guys, Alter Call. And you've talked about reverse engineering things and letting go of all that stuff, finding a way to get the light. Can you speak about that real quick? Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, at Alter Call, we help people so they can answer their calling. And by altering their lives, you're basically altering your state and your energy. We teach a number of modalities that help people do that, breath work, meditation, sound healing. And we do events and experiences that take in entrepreneurs and help them get the negative energies that are inside of them. Many times we hold on to failure. We hold on to resentment. We hold on to things that didn't go our way. We hold on to the way we were raised. We hold on to stuff. And we have to be able to release those energies to step fully into our light and be able to, to be able to you know, fulfill our calling. Mm-hmm. And so Alter Call helps leaders and entrepreneurs do just that. We teach principles, we teach practices, and we have a community of growing entrepreneurs out 
many of which are thriving in this environment that have become very successful. And I've had the privilege of personally mentoring. And so that's what I do is I now mentor people. I once was a VC and I would write a check to a, a CEO and I'd watch him self-sabotage. I'd watch him spend the money like crazy, blow it. I'd watch him run out of money. I'd watch him fail. And I had no solutions for how to help this person as an individual step into their highest self because I was, I was just auditing their financials, auditing their team and trying to lead them as it, most VCs do. Mm-hmm. When I came to the realization was I wanted to look at the holistic entrepreneur mm-hmm. and help them you know, go from a mind, body, soul, and role level and get them activated in all of those quadrants so that they may be a force of nature and may be able to make a change in the world. Entrepreneurs are the most important people in the world. We are the problem solvers. We are the innovators. We are the risk takers. We are the reason why this planet is is innovating at such a rapid pace. Mm -hmm. So my goal is to create a new wave of entrepreneurs that are aligned in their mind, their body, their soul, and activated in their role. I love it, and, and I'm a testament to that right now, and and I thank you. I thank you for everything awesome. that you're doing for the world. Congratulations, Danny. You did it, man. You, like, oh, we're just getting started. You're, you're now on the top of mountain number one, and now i gotta, I got to teach you how to make sure we pick another mountain, and we start climbing, and this time we're going to climb with more skill, more efficiency, and we're going to leverage all those talents in a whole other way. Well, I'm so excited. I'm so excited and blessed to, to have that opportunity to do that with you. And... You know, it leads me into the people want to know, you know, Ryan Blair, what's some of Ryan Blair's routines that you wake up every morning that you practice? Yeah. Well, right now I'm doing what's called the Spiritual Warrior Challenge. Me too. You can go to the spiritualwarriorchallenge.com and it's 10 minutes of prayer meditation, 10 minutes of breath work, uh, 10 minutes of cardio, and 10 minutes of scripture. And so that's my morning routine right now. I do a little bit more in some cases, but every single day I do at least 10 in each. And by cardio, my 10 minutes of cardio is running at least one mile mm. every single day. Uh, in addition to that, I'll do weight. I eat extremely healthy. I get out in nature often because I live next to uh, these beautiful hiking trails called Running Canyon. And so my my uh, my, my 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 routine is is you know pretty much mind, body, soul. And roll, and and so everything that I do is around those four quadrants, mm-hmm. and I'm very disciplined and consistent in that, and I do it each and every single day. And anybody who wants to join me in this, they can join me at the spiritual. It's called spiritualwarriorchallenge.com. Well, my hands up because I'm I'm doing it right now, and I feel great. Are you doing it? Yeah, yeah. of course. Uh, wherever we started Thursday. Yeah, yeah Thursday, awesome. Yeah, so day five. Yeah, uh, love it. I'm on day five too. I still have to do the cardio just before I got on. I did some breath work. And I have to tell you, I do breath work occasionally. And now, consistently, it's a whole nother level. And would you say that that's helped dramatically in your life doing all these things? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so meditation I- and breath work. Meditation has changed me. People that meet me today say, you don't look like the same Ryan. You don't act like the same Ryan. You're a whole different soul. Meditation changed me. Mm-hmm. Completely re-engineered me because it, it re-engineers your neurology. It, it really does rewire the brain. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a whole different person. I walk with a whole different presence to me and a whole different energy because of meditation and breath work. Those are the two modalities that you have to 
you have to break them out because mm -hmm. entrepreneurship is stressful, and so you have to have tools to uh, you know to de-stress. And I used to use the tools of self-medication; those just create more stress. Trust me, the more stress you have, the more you self-medicate. The more you self-medicate, the more stress you have. I know that formula. I played in that that formula for many years. Now I can tell you, there's no greater high than a great meditation and a great breathwork session. I say the same thing to people uh, about people who have used medication to feel a certain way. I say, I promise you, you do this breath work, it'll feel times 10 of what those other things would do. Yeah, so. yeah you, you know, you, we don't want to, we want to try to, this is the greatest supercomputer ever invented. Mm -hmm. You are a product of creation. Your brain is more powerful than any computer ever invented. Like, think about that. You're walking around with a Bugatti times a Ferrari times a spaceship. Like, that's what you've got. Like, you have the most brilliant machinery that has ever been created in all of the history of evolution and humanity, right? You're walking in the best version that's ever been on this planet. And, and yet there's no operating manual. There's no owner's manual. There's no classes that teach you how to use these lungs, use these bodies, calm this mind, ground, get control over your ego, get control over substances. There's no, there's no playbook for life. And that's what we're doing here at Alta Calls. We're creating that playbook for life. We're teaching the modalities and practices so that you can get this supercomputer here firing on all cylinders and operating at its highest capacity. Wow. Wow. So everybody, just go ahead and follow Ryan Blair because you're going to learn something new. And then if you really want to take this step to the next level, go ahead, click some of our links, and you'll talk to one of us to help, to help you join our amazing movement. I want to ask you a couple more things, Ryan, then, then I'll let you get back to it. I really appreciate your time. Um, one question is about boundaries. Sometimes people need to set some boundaries in their life, whether it's with people or things that no longer serve them. What would you say for boundaries? You have, you have to be... If you don't have boundaries, people will take advantage of you. They will, uh, you know, they will project onto you what they think your boundaries should be, because they have their boundaries. Like for example, if a person, um, you know, texts all night long, then they expect you to text all night long. Right. But if you say, "Hey, I don't text all night long. I only, I only check my phone, my text messages once a day," mm -hmm. I've set a boundary. They no longer have an expectation that I'm going to be texting them back all night long. And they no longer have an expectation that I'm going to be just like them because they love to be on their phone all day long. I've now set a boundary. I'm on my phone one hour a day, and I'll get back to you, you know, when I can, basically. It's a boundary. I used to not set boundaries, and people would get mad at me all the time because I wouldn't put the boundary up there. And everybody always tries to get you to follow their boundaries or their way of being. And so you have to be very firm and concrete in your way of being. Because otherwise, people will try to influence you to their way. Mm -hmm. And so boundaries are a key component of that. Stating your values, um, stating your expectations, you know, create, creating expectations among your friends, your colleagues, you know, your investors, whoever it is that you're working with. All of those are essential in order for you to make sure that you are, you know, that you are grounded and that you are coming from your best energy. As an entrepreneur, it's no longer about time management, it's about energy management. We all have the same amount of time in the day, but the energy that we utilize, the energy that we apply toward that time is what makes the difference. And so that's why I like to take a holistic approach to life and a very wellness approach to entrepreneurship, is that you know, the more grounded you are, 
the healthier you are, the pure, the more purity that you have, the more that you follow your principles, everything else just falls in place. I mean, if you have purity and principles, the rest of your life is taken care of. Yeah, and it's because you're a very, I realize, a very principled and a valued man. You, you, yeah. you, and I, I'll read some of them. I, I have them here. I said, power comes from competence. Competence comes from restriction. Distraction creates misery. Focus creates mastery. Self-esteem comes from competence. Operate at the soul level. And what is your take on why to create these principles and why people need to understand this? So principles are like the code in an operating system. Mm -hmm. So when you find a good one, adopt it and start to, start to make decisions by it, start to contemplate it. And when you do that, you're actually rewiring your operating system. See, each principle, like some of the principles you just named, you know, those were principles that I just spent a lot of time crafting and a lot of time discovering and learning and a lot of meetings with a lot of people and many mentors poured into my life for me to discern a series of principles that I felt like this is the code that I want to operate by. And then the other, we asked me, like, why did I craft the principles? Not only for myself, but I want to leave it to my son and I want my team to operate by that, by, by that code as well. Mm -hmm. So having your principles, and I'm a, you know, there's two things you need to have. There's purity and principles. And your purity is basically operating by your values, keeping your body right, uh, uh, releasing the negative emotions, negative feelings, resentments, regrets, guilt, grief, apathy, shame, hate, anger. You got to get that stuff out to purify yourself. And, and then, you, you know, and then your principles can do all the guiding for you as you're making decisions and taking actions throughout your day. And my final questions for you is people struggle with this. We talked about it throughout the episode a little bit. But what's Ryan Blair's why? Your, your purpose. How'd you define that and what is it? Mm. Um, well, my, my why is, you know, I, I first wrote my purpose statement and it's in Nothing to Lose and I, I summarized it also in Rock Bond the Rockstar that, you know, I was going to help people overcome the very disadvantages that I had to go through. Mm -hmm. Help people overcome abuse, help people overcome uh, debt, help people overcome the, the despair that I had lived in. That was my, that was my original why. And ultimately, all of us, our, our, our why is always not about us. It's about helping others. It's about serving others. It's about what we can do. We're the only species on the planet that can actually fix the planet, that can help other species, that can create environments, that can do all kinds of things to better the world, right? So each and every single one of us has programmed deep within us the code to actually make the world better than we found it. We are builders, we are architects, we are creators. That's what the human spirit is. It is innovative. It is, you know, it's not this stuff that we're led to believe that you know, we're being drugged by Big Pharma, we're, we're, our school system is repressing us and holding us back. You know, the, the system right now is stifling and dimming the human light. But the human, we are, like I said, the most powerful supercomputer. And so my job is to help people, help people get that dark out of them so they can step into their greatest light and they can make their greatest impact. And so my why is, is real simple. Like I'm going to help people re-engineer themselves at scale. And my simple statement when I, like when people ask me what my purpose is, I say, 
to heal at scale. Mm. And that's what Alter Call is about. We're helping people heal at scale. And so by helping an entrepreneur heal, they're going to help their team members heal. They're going to help their customers heal. And so by us helping entrepreneurs heal, we're fulfilling our mission of helping heal at scale. That's beautiful. So to the young entrepreneur or the person who didn't really become the best version of themselves yet in life, regardless of how old they are, what's some advice that you could tell someone? Rebirth. Start now. Born again. I just, you basically got to, you got to, the reason why in some religious, uh, uh, you know, cultures or environments, they have this thing called being born again. The reason why is because you're literally leaving behind the old you and you're stepping into a new you. And you can do that each and every single day. Every day you can wake up with gratitude, you can pray and say, today's a new day, I've been born again, I've been blessed to receive this day, I've been blessed to make it through the night, I've been, you know, like, I'm so grateful to be, you know, God basically renewed my contract today. Mm -hmm. I'm born again. And I'm going to take that, take action today unlike I did yesterday, and I'm going to make today even better than yesterday. And so my advice is quit worrying about the past. If you haven't, if you haven't got to where you need to go and, and you got some resentment and regret, you got to look at, you got to, you got you to, uh, you got to basically look at the past and say, I learned everything I need to learn from you. I learned my lesson. Start fresh and starting over. And it's never too late to start over. Each, see, we, we believe that starting over is a bad thing, but it's not. Mm -hmm. If I were to build one house, right, and I built it really nice, and then you were to hear that I was building another house, mm -hmm. what would you assume? You assume, right, that I'm probably going to build the next house even better than the last one, right? But all too often, people, they're so afraid of starting over that they're just sitting inside of the old house until it rots to the ground as opposed to starting over and building a brand new house, even better than their last house, applying the knowledge, the wisdom, and the experience that they learned in the past building to the present building. And so that's what we have to do. We have to just continually build new houses. And, and that's, what, that's what it's about. That's what being an entrepreneur is about. It's about building new. And that's what people need to do to be able to step in to their highest self. And in order to build something new, you gotta learn from the old, and then you gotta start fresh. I love it. Well, I'll tell you this. You're one of the greatest mentors I've ever had in my life, and I want to thank you again. I'll tell you why. You changed my life when I read your book in 2014, and then you changed my life when I fell down, and I didn't think I'd ever get back up again. I didn't think I had the confidence left in me. I didn't think I had it left in me. I felt like I was going to give up. I really did. And, and when I crossed paths with you guys, uh, with Alter Call and everything you guys are doing with that, you, you helped me get back up. And, and I'm going you're back on top, and I love it. Look at you. You look better. You're shining bright. And today, I celebrate your victory with you, man. Well, thank you so much, Ryan Blair. You are one of the greatest people in this world. And uh, everybody, go follow him. I'm putting all the links in the description. And, of course, if you want to know more about Alter Call and everything he's doing, just contact us on the links below. And it's been an honor and a blessing to speak with you today, Ryan. Awesome. Thank you, Danny. Talk to you soon, my friend. All right, guys, take care, and Millionaire Voices, we're out. <laughs>